guys. Thanks for tuning in to episode 14 of Sheer Crime. I'm Kenzie. And I'm Amy. And this week, we are covering a listener request by discussing the HBO documentary, Mommy, Dead, and Dearest. This is the story of Gypsy Rose Blanchard, a young girl held prisoner by her own mother in an attempt to defraud anyone who came in her path. This is both crazy and horrifyingly sad, but we know you're going to like it. Yeah, this is a case that blew my mind when I first heard about it. And I was so excited that we're covering it this week. Well, yeah. And this is a case from recently. I mean, this happened back in 2015. So this is a very recent case. And it is just bananas. Oh, big time. (laughs) Yes. All the B words. (laughs) That's right. Okay. Now, to get us through this episode, because like, like we just said, it is all over the place. We're going to need a drink. Yes, we are. What are we drinking this week, Kenzie? So we are going back to another classic that we've had, and we are drinking a truly hard seltzer, the raspberry lime flavor. Mm. Honestly, I was running out of stuff in my fridge, and so this is what I brought over, and this is what we're working with today. Hey, I appreciate it. (laughs) That's okay. We like to use up leftovers. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's pop those tops. Let's pop them. Nice. That was good. <laughs> mm. Yummy as always. Oh, it's the spot. Every time, doesn't it? Every single time. The documentary starts off with some on-screen text that the Waukesha County Sheriff's Office, June 15th, 2015, at 1040 p.m. in Waukesha, Wisconsin, police have brought in Gypsy Rose Blanchard, a 19-year-old woman from Springfield, Missouri, for questioning regarding the death of her mother. So it starts off with us seeing like a little video, kind of a surveillance video mm-hmm. of Gypsy sitting in like an interrogation room. It looks kind of comfortable. She's sitting on a couch. Yes, way different than any other interrogation room that we're used to seeing, which is literally just a small table with yeah. two chairs in it. This had an end table, a couch, yeah. a lamp, little chair for the detective that's going to be speaking to her. Just different. Yeah. You know, it also kind of reminded me of, if you've seen Making a Murderer. Yeah. When they first bring in Stephen Avery's nephew. Yes, Brendan Dassey. Yeah, like it kind of reminds me of that scene. Absolutely, 100%. So, but that's what we see. We find out that Detective Stan Hancock is speaking to Gypsy and trying to get her account of what happened. Right off the bat, he comes in with, look, your mom is dead. She's deceased. Gypsy appears shocked and breaks down, Mm -hmm. crying. You know, he's asking her if she has any involvement. And she's like, why would you think it's me? We were the best of friends. And I wrote down super little girl voice. Yes. Very, very high pitched. Very forced, it sounds like. 100%. That was the word I was thinking was forced. And during this little, you know, back and forth, pictures of their home and different collages of her and her mother are flashing across the screen yep showing them both smiling and what appears to be a very normal family i mean appears that way but it appears to be a very happy yeah relationship absolutely yeah now detective hancock says i have no doubt that you love your mom but why did nick hurt her and then they flash on a picture of a bloody pink comforter and pictures of her mother, Dee Dee Blanchard's 
bloody side profile face down with a bloodied hand and mm-hmm. hot pink nail polish on. Ugh. So all of this, they they already know, the detectives know what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. Gypsy doesn't know that yet. Right. Now, six years earlier in 2009, we're seeing this Relay for Life video for the American Cancer Society. And you see Gypsy in a wheelchair and her mother, Dee Dee, take the stage and Gypsy begins singing. And Dee Dee says to her at the end of her song, I've always said you're the reason I was born to be your mama. And it's so heartfelt. I mean, you can tell that the crowd is really into this. Oh, yeah, they love her. Absolutely. I mean, they feel for her because as we get more into the story, you hear about just how sad this little girl's life seems to be. Yeah, she was very sick. I mean, with everything you could imagine. Everything under the sun, this girl had, apparently. Yes. So the crowd is very much on her side. We then flash to Springfield, Missouri, and we see this breaking news coverage coming on the screen. And it says, you know, breaking news, 48-year-old Dee Dee Blanchard was found dead inside her home. Her 19-year-old daughter is still considered missing. And I wanted to say something on that. Yeah. When they said breaking news, to me, that meant they must have been like a very popular family in the town because for anyone else that you know is murdered or is kidnapped they're headlining stories but it's never usually a breaking news type of story right so it made me think maybe they were that well known in the town that it was breaking news because everyone knew who she was well absolutely And also with the fact that her daughter, you know, Gypsy being missing during this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's kind of a hometown celebrity in her own right. So I think that had a big part of it, too. And I think it was because she was a vulnerable individual. Right. That they were like, what happened? She must have been kidnapped. Yep. And someone could have hurt her. It kind of reminds me of that case in Wisconsin with that young girl. I believe it was back in like 2018 where, uh, what was her name? Jamie... Jamie Kloss. Jamie Kloss, yes. Where somebody had showed up to her house, shot and killed both of her yes. parents, and then kidnapped her. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes. So we obviously know this this can happen, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm in my mind, I'm kind of thinking that's what the police are thinking right off the bat. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, they're just coming onto the scene, right? And they know that this girl's supposed to be there, but she's not. Right. So we then hear from a local news reporter that Dee Dee and Gypsy had been Hurricane Katrina survivors. They had moved to the Ozarks to make a better life. And I'm not sure how many of you are real familiar with the Hurricane Katrina catastrophe that happened here in the Mm -hmm. United States. But I went on to the worldvision.org website and did a little deep dive just for a couple of statistics. And basically, this was the most costly hurricane disaster in U.S. history, estimated about $161 billion. Wow. Destroyed more than 150,000 homes, between 300 and 350,000 cars, and about 2,400 ships and vessels. Wow. The death toll was somewhere between 1,200 and 1,833, directly or indirectly. So some people died after the fact, and they think it had to do with that. There were 50 levees and flood walls that failed, causing the flooding that we all heard about. And at least 80% of New Orleans was underwater at that time. 
I like I vaguely remember just how much news coverage there was around it. And it seemed to go on for years. I mean, it It really was a huge catastrophe here in the United States. I think there are still parts of New Orleans that are still trying to rebuild. I'm sure it was huge. Anywhere that you live that could possibly be in a hurricane type of scenario. I think if you get hit with something like that, it takes so long for your community to go back to what is normal. Yeah. And hurricanes can happen any time. And happen multiple times a year. Oh, my gosh. See, we live in the middle of the United States where we would never get a hurricane. Just saying. So we we don't know what that's like. No. You know? But oh, it's, it, it's terribly sad and devastating. Yeah. Yeah. We may have to deal with mosquitoes up here in cold weather, yes. but we don't have to deal with hurricanes and, like, earthquakes. Right? We don't. Or volcanoes. I'm okay with all three of those things not being anywhere near us. (laughs) We have some tornadoes, but they're brief. They're brief. And there's not many. So there's really not that many. We've got, we don't have a super flat state. So it doesn't tend to be as big of a thing. Yep. But that's kind of our our biggest threat, I guess. And the negative freezing cold temps, I mean, that sucks. Yeah. But then you just stay inside, right? Absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, it could just weed out some of the people that we just don't even want around anymore. (laughs) There you go. Okay. We then hear from Elaine Scherer. Now, she was a community service worker in Aurora, Missouri, and she said that Gypsy was in a wheelchair, had had leukemia, seizures, had to use a feeding tube. I mean, she couldn't believe all of the things that this poor girl had to deal with. Right. And now she's missing. Yeah, absolutely. She also couldn't believe what she was about to find out Mm -hmm. about the entire situation. Mm -hmm. Now we meet Jim Arnott. Now, he's a Greene County sheriff. And he was called on June 14th to do a welfare check on the Blanchard family. Mm -hmm. There were some disturbing Facebook posts appearing on Dee Dee's page, which prompted this call to police from friends and family. Jim says that there was a Facebook post stating, quote, the bitch is dead, unquote. And a second post appearing saying, quote, I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet, innocent daughter, unquote. Then another post saying, quote, her scream was so loud, LOL, end quote. Could you imagine being their friend on Facebook and seeing this type of post and how terrifying it would be to see something like this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this right here, I can understand why people, I mean, and you would see some of the responses in this documentary right. where people are like, what's going on? Are you okay? What's happening? Did your Facebook get hacked? Well, and that would have been my first thought, Yeah, you know? Because you see, of course, somebody will, you know, leave their Facebook open and a family member will type something on there and you know it's not them. Right. right? Yeah. But it's usually not in this derogatory type of manner. And their posts were all wholesome videos of them together and and wholesome pictures of them, you know, at Disney World and on these trips and all this kind of stuff, having a good time where they would never see something like this in real life on their Facebook ever. Totally. And Dee Dee was notorious for posting everything about their lives. Right. She needed to make sure that people knew just how sick Gypsy was and what type of treatment she was going through and or maybe what kind of treatments that was coming up and that they would need money and funds for. Right. Yeah. So she it was a whole bunch of stuff posted there, but this kind of stuff did not fit. Exactly. One of these things is not like the other. Right. Now, on June 16th of 2015, we're at the Greene County Sheriff's Office for a press conference. 
We hear that this is currently an ongoing investigation because this happened only the day prior. So they haven't really figured much out yet, but that things are not always as they appear. Then we pan over to an interview with Nicholas Godijan, who is actually Gypsy's boyfriend, who's getting interrogated. And he says, I'll admit, I did actually stab her. And he's explaining that he only did it because of Gypsy and his relationship. And he would have never done it otherwise. Now, the detective asks him, did Gypsy know that you were going to kill her mother? And he responds with, she asked me to. Now, we're back to the press conference on June 16th. And both Facebook posts were written by Gypsy. And I found this interesting because how did they know that they were written by Gypsy? I mean, they don't go into much detail, but to me, that was quite interesting that they immediately said that both of those posts were written by Gypsy herself. Yeah. So there must have been something tying her to it, but they don't go into detail, which is like, oh, it's kind of like digging into my brain. Like, what is it? How did you know that? Right. And I'm thinking also maybe she could have like confessed to that part of it. Like, yes, I wrote those posts because it it was kind of a shared page between her and Dee Dee. Sure. I think it was called like Dee Gypsy Blanchard. Yep. Yep. That's right. That's right. That could be it, too, because I was like, why do they keep saying that? And there's no basis behind it. They're not telling us how they found out that information, where they got that information. Seems strange. The writing style could have also maybe matched some of the things that Gypsy had posted before and totally didn't match things that were on Nick's page. Sure, sure. Makes sense. Yeah. Now, the prosecutors filed first-degree murder charges that morning against Gypsy and Nicholas. Jim Arnott goes on to tell us that the public had been deceived and Gypsy can walk without assistance and does it very well. Later that day, we're at Gypsy's arraignment. And she walks right into the courtroom. No assistance. Not at all. No wheelchair. She didn't trip or stumble or nothing. Not at all. You can tell that she's tearful. Oh, yeah. She looks scared shitless. Absolutely. I mean, and she looks so small. She looks so small and just tiny next to everyone in this courtroom. Oh, yeah. And Gypsy and Nicholas conspired to stab Dee Dee Blanchard in order for them to be together. And they were facing life in prison or death. Scary as fuck. For sure. Especially at 19 years old. Oh, gosh. Crazy. Yeah. At any age, really. Right. Yeah, especially because she may be 19, but I mean, she didn't live like a 19-year-old. Right. She didn't have the the life experience of somebody who's 19. I would say more of like a 12-year-old. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would make more sense. Yep. Her friends and family were actually really upset to find out that she was able to walk. I mean, they were thinking, if that's a lie, what else is a lie? I mean, seriously. They thought for her whole life almost that she was paraplegic and could not walk. So now to find out that she is perfectly capable of walking and has no issues whatsoever. Yeah. You would feel so deceived and lied by those two people. Yeah. You know, I mean, it. It would kind of throw your world in a in a loop, you oh, know. For sure. It would it how could you even look at her and take her seriously at this point? Right? Because you have to know that she was in on it. Absolutely. We're back at the press conference again and Jim Arnott states that they unearthed a long financial fraud scheme. Gypsy and Dee Dee had went on medical airlifts, they went on Disney trips. And they got free housing over the years. Yeah, Habitats for Humanity built them over, built them a house. Literally built them a wheelchair accessible brand new pink house in Springfield, Missouri. 
Yeah. All of this started online when donations started pouring in for Gypsy's supposed muscular dystrophy and leukemia. Yeah. So Dee Dee was portraying this online that Gypsy was so, so sick. She was dying of cancer. She had muscular dystrophy on top of it. She was in a wheelchair. I mean, she was just a very sick girl. So, of course, the community rallies. Absolutely. And gives her all the support because they feel terrible for what they're going through. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many of those do you see pop up on your Facebook? All the time. There's GoFundMes all the time. Right. And real ones, you know, like Mm -hmm. people that do have real problems and need the public's help. But then you look at stuff like this and you're like, it's horrible. Yeah. It's so horrible. Yeah. They tell us that they were not even able to confirm Gypsy's date of birth because they had found several date of births that have been used over time by Didi. I'm like, how? I know. How did she do that? I mean, nobody asked for a birth certificate? Seriously. Did she forge all of that? Did she get fake documents and and fake social security numbers? Like, what did she do to do that? It's mind-boggling. It truly is. It seems like a lot of work. (laughs) It seems like so much work. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I mean, clearly, she had nothing better to do. Right. But it's also like, wow. I mean... (laughs) Talk about dedication. Seriously. She kept this up for like almost 20 years. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. We're now at July 24th, 2015, and the prosecution presents its preliminary evidence against Gypsy, is what on-screen text tells us. Now, Dan Patterson is the Greene County prosecutor. He is charging Gypsy and Nick with first-degree murder. All of this is based on evidence using their cell phone text messages between Gypsy and Nicholas Godijan. Mm-hmm. Basically, they had met online. They had started this dating relationship. The text conversations show Gypsy and Nick discussing killing Dee Dee, or as we find out, her real name is Claudine. Mm-hmm. They only say it once in the whole documentary, though, thank yep. God, because I was like, <laughs> I would not be able to figure that out. No. Now, during all of this, Gypsy is beside herself sobbing. I mean, clearly, you can see that she has regret all over her face. She is scared. Yeah. But they start talking about these text messages. And we see a text from Gypsy to Nick saying, the shit's going to go down tonight, dot, dot, dot. And then Nick writes back, babe, it's my evil side doing it. He won't mess up because he enjoys killing. And I'm like. Such a weird thing to say. Super weird. Ugh. I know. Ugh. And then Gypsy responds with, we'll be happy soon. After this night, we will never bring it up. I mean, if that right there isn't the nail in the coffin, I don't know what is. Yeah. And you can tell that they're very naive. Yeah. I mean, openly having these text message conversations, they clearly had no idea that everything that gets put out there stays out there forever. Everything. We don't Everything. have privacy, people. No matter how much <laughs> if, you think you have privacy, you ain't got any. Absolutely not. Not anymore. Not, not anymore. Not with the type of technology we have nowadays. No way. No, it's borderline scary as shit. It is. We then meet Michelle Dean. Now, she's a freelance journalist. Uh, she's written for publications such as The New Yorker or for BuzzFeed. She says that this first looked like a tabloid case, you know, like one of those like sensationalized things that you'd see in the grocery store right as you're checking out. Because you don't hear shit like this. Because it seems so far-fetched. 
She says, you know, all you see are like two people dressing up in weird outfits, scamming everybody for false medical issues, and then this gruesome murder. Mm -hmm. So like, what the fuck? But then she says, eventually, that all kind of falls apart and a whole nother story emerges. Mm -hmm. Then we get to meet Gypsy's dad, Rod Blanchard. Now, he lives in LaForche Parish, Louisiana. So he's a little ways away, definitely Mm -hmm. out of state. And he is also Dee Dee's ex-husband. So he says to the camera, like, how do you just go and kill your mother? Like something must have happened. Yep. So he knew that it wasn't just Gypsy being a psycho. Something pushed her. Right. And I think he looked at it like with his mom, too. Like he would he could never do that unless there was some abuse there. Like something had to have happened to get to that point. You just don't kill your mother to kill your mother. Right. Yeah. I mean, he says something to the effect of, even if I was so mad at you, like at any point in time in my life, if I'd been so mad at you, I'd never once thought about killing you. Exactly. Because that's not what normal people do. And then very briefly, we meet Mike Stanfield, Gypsy's lawyer. Now, he's a Missouri public defender. And he says that his initial reaction was that she had been lying to everybody. But we come to find out that this started way before she would have even had the opportunity to do that. All of this happened far before she even knew how to speak. Right. As as a baby. Yeah, she was a baby. So why don't you tell us how this whole thing started? Yes. So we get to see Gypsy at about three months old. And at this point, Dee Dee was already telling Rod that she had sleep apnea and that she needed a breathing machine at three months old. Yeah. And everything had been perfectly fine. She had a healthy birth. She seemed like a perfectly healthy baby. So to Rod, this was a little off, but he didn't know much about it. Yeah. He had figured that she was told that that's what she needed. Yeah. My first thought, too, when I read that was I'm like, could her mom have been like super scared of SIDS and potentially thought like if I get her a breathing machine, she definitely won't just pass away in her sleep unexpectedly? I don't know. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. I mean, as a first time mom, you're kind of overly like nervous about things and overprotective and yeah yeah because it's your first time you have no idea you know you have no frame of reference well and i honestly didn't even know they made sleep apnea machines for infants i mean i i wonder how that works well and i kind of thought too how would they even i mean i guess they would they would be able to test it but how would somebody know that yeah unless they were super snoring you know what i mean like where they fell asleep and they were snoring so hard all night but again that's not the case. No, I mean, no. it's not. We're really giving somebody credit here. <laughs> Keep are. going. Keep going. Okay. Well, it escalated from there, as you can assume. And then the problems with her eyes, her hearing, her digestion happened. And after that, Gypsy couldn't walk anymore because of a muscular disorder. And this was at 10 years old. Yeah. Dee Dee told Rod that she needed a wheelchair. And she told him that they had done a test, quote unquote, test, test. and found out that she had a chromosome disorder that was causing all of these issues. And she even went on to tell him that Gypsy wouldn't live to be 18 years old. So basically gearing him up for his daughter to die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, heads up. She won't be here long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of it is so shocking and disturbing. Oh, yeah. Rod says that to see her now as a 23-year-old, perfectly healthy human being kind of pisses him off. Totally. I mean, He was lied to and led to believe so many false things about his daughter, and he lost all that time with her. 
You know what I mean? Of her being a normal child. Yeah. She missed out on all of that because of these fake illnesses that she had. Yeah. We briefly get to meet Christy Blanchard, which is actually Gypsy's stepmother. And her and Rod are looking through some old photos of of really when they had good times with Gypsy and when she was quote unquote normal. And she says that it just breaks her heart that she was put through all of this when she didn't need it. Yeah. 14 years in a wheelchair. Oh, my God. I know. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think we get to realize that she wasn't in a wheelchair at the house when she wasn't in public. No. She was able to walk around and do whatever the hell she wanted to. But out in public, she had to literally put on this act and be a completely different person. Yeah. It, it is, is so sad. It is so sad. I mean, she was just like a performing monkey. Yes, absolutely. Mike Stanfield comes back. He's again Gypsy's lawyer. And he said that he never seen anything like this before. Her mother took great steps to keep Gypsy, quote unquote, young, yeah. making her act several years younger than she actually was. And Gypsy wasn't even aware of what her actual age was. So Dee Dee was lying to even her Not only about her illnesses, but about her own age. Yeah. Well, and how would you even, why would you even question your mom? Right. Right. She seems to be doing everything possible to keep you safe and healthy and trying her best to, quote unquote, save you. Yeah. From what? Life? Well, and you can tell that she was very sheltered. So it's not like she had a lot of outside influences to tell her otherwise. It was just her mom. Well, we find out later, too, that her mom makes sure that she doesn't have outside influences. Exactly. Now, Dee Dee had actually told Rod on her 18th birthday to not inform Gypsy that it was her 18th birthday. Yeah. And he was shocked. Like, why? Fuck. I'd be like, uh, no, I'm going to tell her that it's her 18th birthday because it is. Like, what the fuck do you mean? Well, especially when she wasn't expected to live until 18. That's like a big (laughs) milestone. God. Whether she acted 18 or not. Exactly. Throughout this documentary, we see tons of photos, tons of home videos of just this act that they're putting on for Facebook and to get all this sympathy and attention. Yep. We see a specific video of Gypsy and Dee Dee outside in the snow. We're only seeing Gypsy. She's kind of on their porch. And it's maybe like a four to five foot drop to the snow, yeah. maybe. And we see Gypsy giggling and acting very childish. I mean, oh, yeah. Very, very. I mean, I would think that she's acting like a six or seven year old, maybe. And at 100%. this point, she's probably 14, 15, maybe. Yeah. We, we can't be sure what her age is because, again, her mom is always trying to make her seem look and act a lot younger than she is. Yeah. She kind of pushes herself off and she's just kind of flailing around and lands like a dead fish in the snow. It's weird. You can see that at one point in the video, she actually does try to pick up her legs to move them as if she can't move them herself. There was a few times I did catch that she was moving her legs. Did you? It was very minimal, but I think it's because it's normal. Well, you yeah. can move your legs, so your your body's going to move them because it's, it's something instinctual. you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was very interesting to see that video, but you could tell her mom was probably coaching her on what she needed to do for the video to make it look realistic. Yeah, well, because she was spending a lot of time making eye contact with the camcorder. Right. Right. Exactly. We now see Gypsy's interview with 
the documentary crew. Yeah. And this kind of happens throughout the remaining part of the documentary on and off. So we'll be talking about Gypsy's interview basically throughout the rest of this show, but it's intermittent. So yeah, it is. It's her same interview with the documentary, right? And it's not an interview with police, right? This is right. after the fact, right? She's already she's in just prison, giving us her point of view. Exactly, you can see she's in a jumpsuit. She's already in prison. She's basically giving us her honest story, right, about what happened. They ask her to describe her mother, and she basically says that she's unique and overprotective. And she said that overprotective is the best word to describe her mother. I, I hands nailed down. it, hands down. Yeah. Now, Gypsy never thought any abuse was going on. She didn't know because it had always been that way for her. So how would she know any different? Yeah, that's your whole life. That's how your whole life has been. So you feel like that is what normal life is like. Yeah. And she's so sheltered and overprotected that she doesn't know what another family's life is like and how those children live because she's with her mother 24-7. Yeah. So Gypsy actually does tell us that she knew her life was different from other kids, but everyone viewed them as the sweetest mother-daughter duo. So she never really thought twice about it. She's asked, what illnesses did your mother say you had? She lists off asthma, epilepsy, hearing, and vision impaired, fed with a feeding tube, paralyzed from the waist down, retardation. And she said, among other things, she couldn't even think of all of the things. Then we see a list that Dee Dee would give to doctors. To add to the list that Gypsy just said, we add in GI reflux, muscular dystrophy, anemia, hypoventilation, allergies, leukemia, incontinence, lung disease, heart murmur. What in the fuck? It's almost like she just took a page out of like a medical journal of A to Z Here's everything that any human being has ever had or could have. Honestly, I she would have to research some of this, and maybe it's things that can't fully be maybe detected or things that you can say that you have that aren't visually noticeable. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, hearing and vision impaired, people can be hearing and vision impaired and you not you can look at them and not know that. Right. You know, asthma, you wouldn't really know someone would have that. Epilepsy, you wouldn't know unless they had a seizure. You know what I mean? A so lot ma- of those are things, yeah, that you just wouldn't yeah. see. Like, visually, she could have them, but you wouldn't really know unless she told you. You right. know what I mean? So maybe she really had to research this to make sure it could be things that visually you wouldn't know she had, but inside she had them, you know? When you also come to find out, too, a little later that some of the medications that she was given actually gave symptoms of some of these things. Isn't that horrible? So it also kind of makes me wonder because they don't say that Dee Dee was a nurse that would have known any of this shit, you know, through like her education. But it kind of makes me wonder if like she was giving her things for these big issues, right? Yeah. And they were causing all these other things. So then she was bringing her in and then it was like, ooh, now she's got this. Now she's got this. So maybe a lot of these weren't necessarily intentional, like the smaller ones. Sure, sure. Well, then they show us a full closet of prescription medication and over-the-counter medication. I'm not kidding you guys. It's a closet in a hallway, like a hallway linen closet full of medications. I've never seen anything like it in my life. It was sickening. Did you happen to see that there was like a combo lock on the outside of the door? So like it had to be latched shut with like a combination lock on the door. 
Do they not have people over ever? Because that would be a fucking red flag to me as an outsider to be like, why the fuck does this closet have a combo lock on the outside of it? Yeah, I guess my only other thought would be if everybody thought she was like mentally slow or in her words, you know, retarded, that maybe her mom had put this lock on the door to keep her from getting into the medication. Kind of like what you would do in like like cleaning supplies. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. We find out that Gypsy was actually on breathing medication, seizure medication, medication to help her go to the bathroom, pain medication, anxiety medication. She was on a breathing machine at night. And Gypsy actually tells us she thought it was making her breathing worse, not better. Well, I mean, if you don't need it. It makes sense. Like if you're using something that you don't actually need, it might make things worse for you. Really? (laughs) So weird. It's so weird. And then she actually had another machine for her feeding tube. And she said that Didi was controlling what she ate, what medications were put in there. Sometimes she would actually be asleep and she wouldn't even know what her mother was putting inside her. How scary is that? That's super scary. And at that point, too, she didn't know to be scared. Right. Oh, my gosh. You're just, I mean, honestly, if that would have been me, I would have blindly done whatever the hell my mom was doing, you know? Of course, it's your mother. Yeah. It's your mother. Yeah. We then see some on-screen text saying that according to medical records, Dee Dee brought Gypsy to local hospitals over 100 times between 2005 and 2014. Now, Gypsy says when she was at the doctor's offices, Dee Dee was the only one that was ever allowed to speak. She was instructed to play with her Barbie doll or whatever stuffed animal she had in her hand at the time because she always brought one with mm-hmm. her. She was told to stay in the wheelchair, be calm, play with your doll, and don't move your legs. Oh, my God. So much manipulation. It breaks my heart. And she thinks Seriously. that that's n- normal. Yeah. In her eyes, that's not weird. And to right. all of us, we're like, what in the actual fuck? Right. You know you can walk and you have to lie to everyone and tell them that you can't. Yeah. And you don't understand why. Well, it's so bizarre because I know most parents would, I mean, their their biggest nightmare would be a, having their child have all of these issues. Right. Right. Obviously, the parents who do have children with severe issues it's something they just have to deal with mm-hmm. and they live with it and they they go about it however they need to. But it's so fucked up to think that she created all of this for her child. Yeah. Like mental illness at its highest point. Oh, I mean, yes. she needed so much help and she wasn't getting it. I mean, no. she probably needed to be on some of these medications. Let's be real. Uh, she needed something. She needed something. Yeah. We then see more on-screen text that says that Gypsy underwent multiple surgeries during her hospital visits. They included gastrointestinal operations, eye procedures, and even the removal of her salivary glands. All I had to say about that was that is fucking child abuse, plain and simple. Oh, seriously. What in the fuck? Are you kidding me? I mean, what does that mean? If she doesn't have salivary glands anymore, is her mouth always dry? Like, I guess I don't know what that means, but it's like constant cotton mouth is what I'm thinking. Oh, my God. Horrifying. Well, and if you think about it, too, I believe if you have super dry mouth, doesn't that have like a huge effect on your teeth? Oh, I think it does. I think it does, too. I mean, I feel like why would your gums stay, you know, supple enough to keep a tooth in? Right. So I can imagine that that's got to be. Oh, 
I know. It's fucking sick. It's ma- it's actually making my mouth water. Me I'm too. I was just thinking water. the same thing. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not like subconsciously like all of a sudden going like, ooh, I, want, I don't want to be dry. Right <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, totally. My mouth is watering as well. So Gypsy claims that the only thing that she was aware of was the fact that she could physically walk just fine, but that she was told not to. Right. She claims that she took all these medications because she truly did believe she was sick. And honestly, being that it had all started way back you know, when she was a baby, I don't, I don't blame her. I would feel the same way. Yeah. How can't you, you've been told your entire life since you can remember that you were deathly sick. Yeah. Why would you think otherwise? Right. You know what I mean? And doctors aren't stopping this from happening. You still are going to doctor's appointments. You're still getting prescription medication. Yeah. Doctors would stop this, right? From happening. Yeah. They would know they're doctors. Right. Yeah. She didn't have two thoughts about it. Right. She would also say that her mother would shave her head, stating that it would, quote, fall out anyway because of her cancer. Right. And I think it was another form of the the look of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Her mom wanted her to appear sick. Oh, yeah. And she wanted that sympathy from other people. And if she had to shave her daughter's head to be bald. People are going to feel bad for that child. Absolutely. You know I, mean, I mean, you don't see a child past the age of like four or five with a ba- shaved bald head right. and think something other than, oh, my God, that child has to be super sick. Right. You just don't think those things. Right. I also wrote hashtag sick fuck next to that because I can't believe her mother did that. All of this is it's so hard to stomach that this mom was torturing this child in such a unique way. I mean, it's not your standard form of torture. No. It is so beyond manipulation and like this mental torture and physical torture. I mean, she's going to have to live with some of these things the rest of her life. You know what I mean? Yeah. These scars from these surgeries, not having her salivary salivary glands. And seriously. I know. It's mind boggling. It is. At the highest level. It is. Now, they also show like a quick photo, and you and I were talking about this beforehand, yeah. of Gypsy, you know, like naked, but sitting in like a sink as if she's getting a bath. Yeah. And both of us agreed she looks like she's sitting in like a science room sink. It's weird. Like a classroom sink. And she looks sickly and bony and like she's hunched over way too big for this sink. I oh, mean way too big. I, I don't know if it was just for a photo op or I, I mean it was it was a weird photo. It was I hated super it. weird. And I, I said it. to you and you know not to, to make light of any of this at all but literally the first thing I thought about was that she looked like somebody in a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. I mean she looked like a prisoner of war except that she was smiling. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. I didn't like it either. We then meet Dr. Mark Feldman, and I'm just going to say I, I love this guy. I did, too. Yeah. Now, he's a clinical psychologist and a Munchausen expert. Now, he said that this is one of the most consistent cases he's ever seen. He says that Munchausen by proxy is when a caregiver feigns or actually induces illness in their children or dependents. Now, the goal is generally for emotional gratification in the form of like sympathy or attention, yep. getting more care, concern, basically anything that this person feels that they couldn't obtain in any other way. 
again, it is a form of child abuse. Oh, plain and simple. Big time. But it's also a form of a mental illness and she right. needs help. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. It it kind of goes back to me saying, I feel like there should be tests given before you're allowed to have children. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> there are things that we just need to know. Yes. But also I feel like mental illness is something that is so both over and underdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yes. you know, everybody has a form of mental illness in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Then we see instances like this that, like, how would you even know this ahead of time? Right. You know? And that's the thing. Some mental disorders or diseases are really hard to pinpoint. Yeah. And if they're not going to doctors, how are they going to get help? How are they going to get medication or therapy or whatever they need if they don't think they have a problem they're not going to see a doctor so i think that's it's really really hard to find and pinpoint in people yeah but like you said all of us have some form of a mental illness in in a very small way or in a big way and if you didn't have one before after 2020 you sure as hell did absolutely this is going to be something that people are going to live with for the rest of their lives Chipsy had said that she remembers the feeding tube the most, that that part was being, that that was such a painful part of a lot of her life. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to have it changed out every six months or so. And it's just unbelievable to me how Dee Dee was able to manipulate so many medical personnel. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with her manipulation. I mean, she was so good at it and so good at lying and so good at making people believe her that I I think that's that's what happened. Yeah, she was very good at making everybody believe she was doing the best she could for her daughter. Right. We then see some on-screen text, and it states that the prosecution has asked the defense for mitigation evidence. Now, mitigation evidence is evidence that is provided in order to try to establish the presence of mitigating circumstances. The presence of mitigating circumstances can reduce the punishment imposed for the offense. Yeah, basically, they need to know that Dee Dee was doing this kind of behind Gypsy's back. Right. The Gypsy didn't know about it. Well, and that Gypsy was her own victim in right. her own right. Right. So to alleviate a little bit of what her maximum sentence in prison will be because of these mitigating factors. Well, yeah, because at one point they were seeking the death penalty for this girl. Exactly. So now they're looking at it being like, but is it, was she really the victim? Exactly. Yeah. Now, Rod and her stepmother, Christy, were going over all the documents of false statements made by Dee Dee to all of these various doctors, and they were going over it with her attorney. Oh, and it was a stack. It was. I mean, it was interesting because they said that the medical history always changed Depending on the doctor she was seeing. Oh, sure. And it's like, how do you keep up with that? I mean, she had to have probably a filing case at home of all these doctors that she was seeing because she was seeing all various types of doctors. She'd move on to doctors if she thought they were catching on to her scheme, yep. go somewhere else and have to start over. And it's like, how do you keep track of all that? I, it's, it seems like so much work. Again, it seems like a full-time job. <laughs> it, it, it was. She didn't have a job. No. She was her caretaker. So this was her job. So I guess it makes sense. But my God. Oh, I mean, talk about employee of the month. <laughs> oh, my God. God. <laughs> we then see a letter from Dr. Bernardo Flasterstein. He's a neurologist and he's awesome. Yeah. yeah. He puts in bold in this letter 
that the mother is not a good historian. He noticed that Gypsy's leg muscles looked very normal for her age. And if she really wasn't able to walk for nine years, she should have almost no muscles in her lower extremities. And that's true. Yeah. You've, we've all seen people in wheelchairs or people in casts or things that you're not able to use and utilize for a while. Your muscle goes away almost immediately and you're basically skin and bones. And that's unfortunately just how it is, yeah. you know? So doctors are almost immediately able to see that and know that that's truth. I'm just wondering why nobody fucking noticed that. Right. That's why was he the first one to write something about that? Right. And he said he remembers her standing. So he knew that she could hold her body weight at, right. at some point. And her brain and spinal MRIs came back normal. And he had big doubts right from the beginning. If you're a doctor and you know the signs of someone that's a paraplegic or that has these disorders and you're not seeing them, that should raise red flags, right? you know? And Gypsy's never talking to these doctors, only Dee Dee is. Gypsy has to shut her mouth the whole time and Dee Dee's the one explaining all this stuff to the doctors. So yeah. that, again, should also be a red flag because the doctor should be asking Gypsy how she feels and her symptoms and all this kind of stuff, but they're not. Yeah, well, they even say that there's a document within this stack that they're going through where there were notes about Dee Dee covering Gypsy's ears while speaking to the doctor. Right, right. Like, he didn't, you know, alluding to, like, not wanting to upset her, but no. That's so that she didn't know what the fuck was being said. Exactly. So no one had ever mentioned anything about his letter notating that it could be Munchausen by proxy. And so nothing was ever done. Yeah. Again, flawed system. Why yeah. is this getting through the cracks? I mean... This is child abuse. Can we go back to the Gabriel case? Yeah. Like, that's literally what it is reminding me of, you know? Obviously, a totally different type of abuse. Everybody take a drink. You heard a dog bark. <laughs> I think there were two of them. Yes. <laughs> but abuse nonetheless, really. Seriously. Well, Dee Dee ended up catching wind of this letter and stopped going to that hospital. She knew that they were onto her. And so she stopped going. Yeah. Because she had asked for all the medical records and they included this letter. So she stopped going there altogether. Yeah. And I wonder if she knew she had Munchausen. You know, I think she was just a criminal. And yeah. so she knew she was being fraudulent and just didn't want to get caught. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's in way too deep. Oh, she's been doing for this sure. for 15 plus years. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I, I think she knew that she just couldn't get caught because then it would be the end for her. Because yeah. she'd be going to prison. Now, we get a little bit of Dee Dee's backstory. And her and Rod actually met at a bowling alley. They started dating a few weeks later. She got pregnant. So then they just had to get married. I mean, down south, that's what they believed in. And if you got someone pregnant, you had to get married. Well, he was only 17. Oh, I gosh. Mean, I'm like 17 years old and getting married. That is the most horrifying thing. I could not imagine being married at 17. I was no. so naive. Didn't know who the hell I was partying all the time. Oh, my, oh God. my God. I didn't have money to move out and marry no. someone. What the hell? And why would I want to? Exactly. Yeah. It was far nicer at home where other people pay the bills. Exactly. And Rod said that things started to get a little weird. Yeah. I mean, quickly after they got married because Dee Dee was into witchcraft and, and dark things like that. And she even had a pet tarantula. Okay. 
you're fucking weird if you want a pet tarantula. What? However, if we have any listeners with a pet tarantula, that is amazing. Thank. Good for you. You keep that thing at home. Just don't. Too many. Too many people have spider I, issues. Ooh, oh my god! I yeah. can't even kill like a daddy long leg. If I saw a goddamn tarantula in real life. I would die. I bet you would. That is actually like the most horrifying thing to me to find a tarantula or have it be crawling on me. Um, I get it. The I'm not a. I wouldn't want a tarantula anywhere near me. I'm not a huge like. I'm not super scared of spiders. I can actually kill spiders. That's fine. Mine are things with wings. Ooh, that can fly towards you. Uh, Like when they were talking about the what did they call them? The murder hornets. Oh yeah. I literally told my husband, I'm like, well, I guess I'm never leaving the house again. (laughs) And I didn't for like a good few days. Oh, I yeah. didn't even step outside. It oh, was yeah. hot as shit outside. <laughs> it was nice. I'm like, nope, not dealing with hornets. it today. Fuck no, you cannot run from them. Nope. We meet Bobby Petrie, who's actually Dee Dee's nephew. Yeah. And he tells us a little bit about Dee Dee and says that she was a weird girl and yeah. she had bipolar. He thought she had multiple personality disorder and basically evil. And that's kind of what he left it on. He's like, she's evil. Yeah. And the funny thing is, too, is that, and don't get me wrong, I'm not judging in any way, shape, or form, but when you see this guy talking, I mean, he looks like somebody who would be like a Marilyn Manson-like groupie. (laughs) So for him to say all those things, I was dying because I'm just like, she must have been super fucked up. Oh, yeah. But he also seems really down to earth and just like normal. That is exactly what I was thinking. Aside, like if you're just looking at appearances, you'd be like, um, aren't you the one that could right. be like doing witchcraft? Right. It was super funny. <laughs> just side note. Well, we then meet her parents, her dad, Claude, and then her stepmom, Laura. Now, Claude says that, you know, when she was young, they had a really great relationship. He says that he gave her everything she ever wanted. And I think that's that's pretty typical, I feel like, for a lot of father-daughter relationships, yeah. you know. You, you always hear that, you know, the, the little girl has her dad wrapped around her finger. Right. I mean, in this case, it seems really, really true. But Laura, her stepmom, goes on to say that she was a filthy person. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I she means, that. like, at the core. Oh, yeah. Like, not that she was messy, but she, and who knows, maybe she was, but that she was just, like, rotten. Yeah, yeah. And she says that revenge <laughs> was her <laughs> way. <laughs> I just think that's so funny. No, it is because she she, was a rotten human being. Well, she says it with this awesome, like, Creole accent. Yeah, yep. It's amazing. (laughs) It's it's quite perfect. I almost want to, like, turn that into, like, a TikTok sound. Yes, yes. Now, they also say that she had opened up credit cards in multiple family members' names, ran them up. I mean, she owed a lot of money. And she also wrote bad checks in like multiple cities and counties. Yeah. And was almost kind of known that if she were to step foot on the bayou, that she would have been arrested on site. Just a criminal. A criminal. Just a criminal. Yep. We also find out from Bobby, her nephew, that she had been poisoning her stepmother with Roundup. Oh, my God. Which, I mean, I was like, why? Why? Did they just not have a good relationship? Because I'm I'm wondering what she's going to gain out of it. Because in my eyes, she's looking for money and, and a way to get money. But if she's trying to poison her stepmother, her dad's still alive. So was she doing that to him too or going to poison him next and hope she was going to get some inheritance? Or what was the whole 
reasoning behind that. So it, it was interesting. Or maybe she just hated her. Who knows? I know. I was kind of wondering if it had to do with like a revenge thing. Like maybe she had said no to her or made her father Ooh, say no to yeah. her about something. So she was kind of retaliating. That makes sense. Or the exact opposite where she was again trying to play caregiver. Who knows? Yeah. But Claude also goes on to say that Dee Dee's biological mom, Emma, was a bad apple, too. She was a shoplifter. She stole money from family. And they show a quick, like, photo of her. And if she doesn't look identical to what Dee Dee looks like when she dies. Oh, yeah. And let me just tell you, Dee Dee looks nothing like she did when she was younger when she dies. Right. She, in every way possible, let herself go. Right. Her and her mom, two peas in a pod. Oh, yeah. That's what they said, too. The same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. Not only in their personalities, but visually. Like, they looked like the same person at the time of their death. And it was so weird, too, because when you see the picture of Emma, her biological mom, it looks nothing like younger Dee Dee. Right. I mean, Dee Dee was really pretty Mm -hmm. when she was young. I don't know. What happened? Well, and in all honesty, I when I was talking about it with my husband, because of course I'm like, oh my God, guess what? You know, we're doing <laughs> we need now. to talk about this. <laughs> I was like, and when she dies, I'm like, she literally looks like the mom on What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like looks a lot like that. Absolutely. Just minus a couple hundred pounds. <laughs> right. But looks just like that. Now Bobby says that Dee Dee seemed to have gone off the deep end after her own mother died. And Christy, Rod's wife says that Dee Dee seemed to be starving her own mother. So was she also kind of taking care of Emma at some point? Right. And became, star- you know, began starving her. And Dee Dee's own sister even thought that that might have been true after Emma died. And Christy kind of brought it up. I wouldn't put it past her. Not at all. I mean, she seemed really good at it with Gypsy. Mm-hmm. So you have to, like, practice somewhere, right? Right. She was probably that... She was that kid that, like, never fed her doll. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. W- like, put her doll in, like, a blanket in the back <laughs> of the closet. <laughs> yes. Now, when news broke that Dee Dee had been killed, the family didn't believe it. They did not believe that she was dead. They thought it had to be another one of her tricks, which yeah. right there is like, damn. You can tell how much they don't give a shit about her. Absolutely. They actually thought that it could have been Gypsy. And that Dee Dee got what she deserved because they had known to some extent that Gypsy was just not being taken care of the way that she should have been. Right. They just didn't know the full extent of it. Exactly. Because she had moved away. And Dee Dee's own father even said when asked what to do with Dee Dee's ashes, he told them to flush them down the toilet. Nobody in the family wanted them. No. And no one wanted to pay for a funeral. Nope. Nobody wanted them memorialized inside of a graveyard. They just flushed her down the toilet, to which I wrote, damn, Gina. Oh, my God. I kind of love it. (laughs) I kind of do, too, because she was trash. She was a trash human being. Absolutely. She deserved every ounce of that toilet water and going down the drain. Yep. And I hope it was a dirty toilet bowl. Absolutely. Like with shit stains on the side (laughs) of it and everything. It's now November 9th of 2015, and we're back at the Greene County Courthouse, and prosecutors decided not to seek the death penalty against Gypsy and her boyfriend. 
Prosecutor Dan Patterson says that looking at the mitigators and the background stories, as well as the facts, this was not an appropriate first-degree murder case in which to seek the death penalty. We understand that, obviously, because Gypsy was her own victim. Again, I think that you do need to own up to the actions. Oh, yeah. That I don't you think do. that it should just be swept under the rug. Right. Something needs to happen, but does she deserve the death penalty? Absolutely not. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Throughout the documentary, like we stated, we see a lot of home videos, but we do see them a lot at Disney World. So I'm assuming they got a lot of free trips out to Disney. Yeah. Gypsy tells us that she loved the Disney movie Tangled, which is the story of Rapunzel. And it's pretty much her life in a fairy tale, except for the happy ending part. Right. Because Rapunzel has a happy ending, right? Now, she was a hostage in her own home and was trying to figure out a way to escape. For a boy. Right. Right. And her mother was the one keeping her prisoner. Right. Was the wicked old lady that was keeping Rapunzel up in the tower. Right. Now, Elaine Scherer comes back, and she says that Dee Dee was always holding Gypsy's hand in public, and she thought that maybe it was to be able to squeeze it to ensure that she wouldn't say anything that Dee Dee didn't like, or maybe it was just to control her. And Gypsy actually comes back to tell us that the squeeze of the hand meant zip it. I mean, yeah. she was terrified of her mother. Well, she yeah, she knew that she needed to be a good girl. Right. And I think her mom made her think that Her life would be a fairy tale if she was good and did what she was supposed to, not knowing that her fairy tale life was actually a nightmare. Exactly. And she was a prisoner in the whole thing. So sad. Now, psychologist Dr. Feldman tells us that hugs and handholding is actually a way to tell that person that they are not free and you're under my control at all times. Obviously, in the case of Munchausen. Exactly. Hugs and handholding in normal life is totally fine. (laughs) But in this case, they never saw... Gypsy without Dee Dee holding her hand. In all the videos they showed us, she was always holding her hand, always right there with her, always helping her do stuff. I mean, very, very touchy-feely, probably to, again, still have that control over her. Yep. Now, Gypsy tells us that she had been hit with coat hangers and by Dee Dee's palm, and the severity would depend on what she did. So, there was some physical abuse, too. Not only is there mental abuse and all this tangled web of lies that they're in that Gypsy still doesn't quite understand. There was some physical abuse, according to Gypsy. Yeah. And Dr. Mark Feldman actually kind of mentioned, too, that he believes that physical punishment would have most likely been happening during this case as well. Yeah, Just based on everything he knew about Munchausen by proxy and all of the things that happened to her in the rest of her life. Yeah, yeah. He, he also said that um, her mother was so suffocating, powerful, and manipulative that Gypsy probably thought she would fail if she tried to escape. Oh. I mean, everything that she had thought would help her didn't. Yeah. And suffocating is the perfect word. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like overprotective kind of touches it, but suffocating, I feel like, is even more like descriptive. Absolutely. Now, Gypsy talks about a time when she ran away and she had run away with a friend that she met at VisionCon. And this is kind of like a fantasy kind of fairy tale sci-fi convention. Yep. Now, she says that she told him a little bit of what had been going on and he told her to leave and that she could come live with him in Arkansas. Unfortunately, she was found within four hours. Her mother tracked her down. When she got home, her mother smashed her computer with a hammer 
and said that she'd smash her fingers if she tried to do that again. Oh, my God. I mean, as a parent, I kind of get it, you know? Sure. But at the same time, like, ugh, fuck. I mean, this girl needed to get away. Exactly. She was so sheltered. She didn't have friends. She didn't have people come and play with her or hang out with her. She didn't have a normal life. So she wanted some sort of normalcy. And this is what happened to her. And now she's very afraid to do anything. Right. She even mentions that at one point her mom had a dog leash clipped to some handcuffs clipped to the bed so that she could lock her up if she needed to. Oh, I know. Didi had also gone so far as to have a lawyer draw up papers stating that Gypsy was incompetent and that she would not be able to live on her own. I mean, how could she even go to the police at this point? No one's going to believe her. The extent that Didi goes to to ensure that Gypsy will not get out from under her control is mind-blowing. Truly. I mean, what the fuck, man? No, I was wondering, too, when I just read that part, what did she have a plan for if she had passed away? Who knows? You know what I mean? Like how you kind of have like a will. You know, I don't think she probably cared because at that point, if she passed away, she wouldn't have to be there to own up to any of the issues that are all the things that she did, you know, because she wouldn't be there. Right. Yeah. But. I honestly think that killing her mother or having her mother dead was really the only way out for her. She definitely felt that way. I I can't see another way out for her at this point. I can't. No, because she's not allowed to talk to people. Right. Even the neighbors. She wasn't allowed to go hang out with the neighbor girl by herself. Her mom had to be there with her. Right. Now, her defense attorney, Mike Stanfield, says that at one point there was an anonymous report of suspected abuse at Gypsy's home. And that they sent Greene County sheriffs over to the house to investigate a little bit. But like we all know. Yeah. And bringing us right back to the Gabriel Fernandez case with Pearl. Dee Dee was able to explain away all of the, you know, questions that anybody had. And they left. Oh, this is so fucking infuriating. It never gets easier to talk about this. No, it doesn't. Because why? Why aren't they asking Gypsy? Is it because Dee Dee told him that she's so mentally handicapped that she can't speak for herself? And Gypsy's probably sitting there not wanting to say anything because she knows her mom will beat her ass after they leave or what? Right. Oh, it I know. is so heartbreaking. I know. It's, it's terrible. Horrible. It's terrible. Now, Michelle Dean, that freelance journalist, comes in and says, you know, basically everyone failed her. Mm-hmm. And like, how many times do we have to hear that line? That everyone failed. Yep. She says that the doctors didn't help and that her father couldn't help. I mean, she had nobody. Mm -hmm. She, like you said, this was probably her only way out. Yeah. Now, even Dee Dee's nephew, Bobby, says that, you know, they saw that things were happening, but it wasn't like she was being beaten, you know? Right. There was no neglect being going on or, you know, that type of physical abuse. And so they just they just knew something else was going on. Right. And then they show this quick little video clip, which I found heartbreaking of five-year-old Gypsy at a dance class, right? She's lying on the floor, like laying all over the floor, looking up longingly at the other five-year-olds in her dance class, dancing around because she was told not to use her legs in public. And I was just like, 
oh my God, like how far this fucking mom would go. The brainwashing. I mean, it started at such a young age. And this is why Gypsy thought that this shit was normal. Her mom started doing this when she was so fucking young that she thought that this was normal, that she had to do this stuff. Yeah. And it just is so sad because you don't get those years back. You don't get to be a kid again. You don't get to live that life again. I mean, she just took that away from Gypsy. And it's so fucking infuriating. It really is. And at one point, you know, Dee Dee had told Rod, Gypsy's dad, that sometimes Gypsy could walk because somebody in the family had seen her or had told him, I think Gypsy can actually walk. And Dee Dee says, well, sometimes she can, but, you know, sometimes her muscles hurt just too much. And after that conversation, Rod noticed that Dee Dee and Gypsy started moving farther and farther away, you know, to avoid anyone questioning anything anymore. Mm-hmm. So we get a little bit of a background on how Gypsy met Nick And they actually met through a Christian dating site, and they did a wink for a wink. I'm sorry, a what? A Christian what? Yeah, yeah. A Christian dating site. Okay. Wasn't he a vampire? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Okay. I know. Found that. Just checking. Found that quite ironic. I missed that part in the Bible. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Nick tells us that they connected and got closer to one another after meeting, and they just clicked. They knew they were right for each other, and they started their relationship four days after meeting. Sure. Now, Michelle Dean comes back and says Gypsy didn't know anything about romance besides the Prince Charming narrative. I mean, she's watched Disney movies over and over and over again with these happy endings of finding your Prince Charming. It it makes sense. She doesn't know what real life is like and that it doesn't always work with this first person you meet, this they're going to be your true love. Like, it it doesn't always work that way. Right. Well, and it's not like she got to see any relationships happening with her mom. Exactly. I doubt this woman had an ounce of free time to date. She was far too wrapped up in all of this. And I think she had too much control over Gypsy, and she didn't want anyone getting in the way of that. 100%. And or telling other people about what was going on if something were to sour. Because you know that they would see it. Exactly. Michelle also tells us that Nick had a bad background. So it was basically like two bad narratives colliding with each other. Oh, yeah. Without realizing it, really. We get to meet Charles Goldhammer and Stephanie Goldhammer, and they are actually the parents of Nick. Now, Charles is Nick's stepfather. Yep. Stephanie is his biological mother. And Charles tells us that Nick is pretty quiet kept to himself, but they knew that he needed to get out and mingle more because he was very introverted and stayed inside a lot. He didn't want to trust people. He thought that people were always going to backstab him. Now, Stephanie, his mom tells us that he had actually been diagnosed with Asperger's and he had autism. And the last doctor said that his mind would probably always be around that 15 to 16 years of age range. Sure. Now, we hear from Gypsy, and Gypsy tells us that the relationship started out lighthearted. You know, where would you go on your honeymoon, and where do you want to travel to? And just normal get-to-know-you kind of questions, Absolutely, yeah. And then things got weird, and he started talking about BDSM and where the women are submissive and the men are dominant. So Gypsy had kind of looked it up and really had no interest in it at all. But Nicholas ended up talking her into it, so she agreed. 
Yeah, he starts posting a lot of sexualized Disney photos on her page, yeah, which I was yep. just like, fucking gross, man. I don't know. That kind of shit just turns me off. It's not my thing. To me, I love Disney. I love the lightheartedness of it. I love the innocence of the it. The innocence, I do. And so when you see pictures like that, it just... I don't like it turning porny. Yeah, it's... it's. Oh, I just don't like it. I... I hope to God that my kids never see photos like that. Like they're right. out there, I you know, know? so that's there, what's yeah. scary is like, you know, that they're out there and you just, ugh. I know. So I wanted to find out exactly what BDSM meant. Yeah. It's kind of one of those terms that like, you know what it means, but you might not actually know what it means. Yeah. I don't know. I'm very naive to it. I don't know the, the in-depth details of it, but of course I've heard it and I know that's, that's a lifestyle for people and you know, that's great for them, but I, I just have never really looked into it much. Yeah. So basically it's kind of BDSM actually stands for a couple of different terms, but it's almost kind of like overlapping abbreviations. Okay. So bondage and discipline is for BD, but also dominance and submission is for DS. Sadism and masochism is for SM. Oh, okay. Right now I had to look it up a little bit because I know what bondage is. I know what discipline is. Mm -hmm. I know what dominance and submission is. But I'm like, what exactly is sadism and masochism? Now, sadism is the pleasure in another suffering. So basically torturing somebody else is a sexual gratification for you. Okay, right? that makes sense. Masochism is the opposite. So it's the sexual gratification from being physically or emotionally abused. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you're either the abuser as a sadist or you're the abusee as a masochist. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Now, that was in Urban Dictionary, by the way. That's where I found that little, okay. like, tidbit. But then I also looked at the Merriam-Webster definition, and they say that the sexual activity involving such practices as the use of physical restraints, the granting and relinquishing of control, and the infliction of pain is their definition of BDSM. Okay. Again... Not judging anybody who does it. I just know it's not for me. Yeah. But I also don't like to be controlled. Right. <laughs> and I don't want to control somebody else because right. that's too much right. for me. Yep. I think it is for certain people and it is, isn't is for others. You know, I think that's just the way it is. But I'm so glad that you did that deep dive because I did not. I so now to. I learned something. <laughs> I almost made the mistake of Googling that on my work computer. Oh and then I was like, <laughs> shit, no. Like I pulled up Google and then I'm like, whoa, nope. This is not a normal Google deep dive. Nope, nope. I should be doing this, you on, do my this phone. on your phone. <laughs> we learned that Nick's ex actually reached out to Gypsy to tell her that he was a bad guy. And he thought that he was a vampire. <laughs> and Gypsy basically chalked it up to her being jealous and wanting him back and not wanting her to be with him. So she didn't really think anything of it. Yeah, it doesn't sound like she got like pissed off about it. She was just kind of like, eh. She was an ex, though. Like, how serious could I take her? Yep. What we then find out through a news report footage that is played in the documentary that Nick Godijohn had a criminal past himself. Mm -hmm. That in 2013, he was arrested for watching porn at a McDonald's and fondling himself for nine hours. <sighs> um, I'd like to speak to a manager. <laughs> because for real. What the fuck and how? Nine hours? Why are you letting him stay in your fucking restaurant for nine hours? He's obviously up to no good. What in the fuck? Well, and I'm sorry. He looks creepy. 
Yes, he does. He's not somebody that I would want to turn my back on just instinctively. Yeah, I agree. And I'm not, again, those are just like, you know, my spidey sense. There's there's a feeling there's that you a get. feeling I don't mm-hmm. like. And you know what I thought of too? Because I was thinking, like, how the fuck was he just sitting there for nine hours playing with himself in a McDonald's? Kenzie, what if he was in one of the play places, like hiding in one of the tunnels doing it? <gasps> oh my God, I didn't even think about that. That just came into my mind because we talked about this beforehand right. and we were laughing about it. But like fucking gross. Well, and now, I mean, a lot of the McDonald's have been updated. They don't really, a lot of them don't have play places anymore. There's no. some around. Yeah. But back in 2013, probably every single one still had one. So you're probably right. Oh my God. I Ew. know. That well, they so said gross. upon arresting him that they found a large knife on him too. So like, oh, that's just bad news. I mean, he is a bad, bad guy? I just wish he would have just cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Now, Nick goes on to say in his little interview that we kind of keep going back and forth on with the investigator that he believes that he has multiple personalities. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not diagnosed. That's self-diagnosed. He believes he has multiple personalities. And he says so because he said he hears voices. I mean, so I mean, he's he's aware enough to know that that's not normal or something's going on in his brain that is making him out that way. So well, and he I found that interesting. Right. And when he had also said that he had stopped taking the meds that helped with those voices. Hmm. So maybe he was also schizophrenic. Oh, sure. Yeah. But they just didn't talk about that. I, yeah. I don't know. They talked about the autism. but Right. And the Asperger's. Yep. Yeah. But usually, I mean, voices aren't like specific to that. That's usually no, more no. schizophrenia. Yeah. Yep. Now Gypsy goes on to say that he also told her that he had multiple that he also told her that he had multiple personalities and she began making up alter egos or mm-hmm. other personalities to match some of his because he had stated that he wanted a girlfriend for each of him, right? Like each like part the, of him. Each of his personalities. Yeah. And she said it was just basically like deaf, dumb, blind love. She just kind of did whatever. There's some on-screen text that says almost all of Gypsy's relationship with Nick was online role-playing. So it because they were long distance in mm-hmm. this case, you know, Missouri and Wisconsin. So a lot of it's online, mm-hmm. you know, just messaging back and forth. The text also says that she would chat and share photos with him while her mother was sleeping. Because I'm sure a lot of us were kind of wondering, like, how was she doing this? Right. But she'd wait till her mom fell asleep. Now, Nick says that she had a couple of different personalities that she kind of played up to with him. And all three of the ones that I'm going to talk about, and it's showing a picture of her, now her life picture, or her real life picture, is her holding her teddy bear. Mm-hmm. Which, again, Ew. fucking sick. The next one is a girl by the name of Candy. And Candy is her slutty side. Now, the anime picture is like, this, you know, anime girl in like all these rainbow colors, mm-hmm. kind of like long thigh high boots. I mean, it's a cute picture. Yeah. And then they show a picture of Gypsy. She's got this brightly colored wig on and she's wearing this hot pink bra and she's taking, you know, like a cleavage photo. Yeah. You know, trying to be sexy. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what it looked like. It looked like somebody trying to be sexy. And it it looked like a normal photo that a girlfriend would send her boyfriend and, yeah. you know, for that type of foreplay and stuff. So it, it wasn't really off to me. No. Another one of her sides was Ruby. And this is what Gypsy would call her evil side. And she would wear a red wig 
and have like this leather jacket with like nothing underneath. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she looked kind of badass, you know. And then they show these pictures of her playing sexy is what I wrote by licking knives and sending them yeah. to him. Yeah. So I was just like, it just doesn't seem like her. Right. Right. But right. also because she was forced for so long to be this little girl. Yeah. I almost wonder if that was kind of like titillating for her. Well, yeah. And I think she wanted to break out of her shell and try something she'd never done before. And it was exciting. Yeah. And new and... Everything was probably exciting for her. Right. Well, and Michelle Dean, that freelance journalist, says that, you know, this had been largely forbidden by her mom. I mean, like I said, she was made to think she was much younger than she was. Mm-hmm. You don't sexualize a little girl, right? right? So now this is just this huge destructive force as her sexuality was blossoming. And it's something you can't keep from happening. Right. At some point, it's going to happen. Absolutely. It's part of growing up. Mm-hmm. Now, Gypsy says that about a year into their relationship, she started to tell him all of her secrets and that her mom had wanted her to be 16 all of the time mm-hmm. and no older than that. Yep. Gypsy also claims that she never specifically told Nick to kill her mom, but Nick said that he wanted to protect her from anybody and everybody. And she says, you know, anybody, like even my mom. And he's like, yeah. So they started referring to this as plan B, right? Getting rid of mom was plan B. But she also says that, you know, it was always just kind of a thought. It was never a reality that she never really took it seriously. Right. Which I kind of get because it is so far-fetched, right? It is such an extreme. But of course, you're kind of thinking at it as a fantasy life, Mm -hmm. right? Like a story. Mm -hmm. Now, the first time that they met in person, they planned to meet at a movie theater that Gypsy and her mom, Didi, were going to when they went to go see the live-action Cinderella. Mm -hmm. She says that they met at the movie theater and that she snuck off to the bathroom with Nick and told him she wanted to have sex with him. So they did. They went into the men's restroom and they had sex in the bathroom. I found this to be so far-fetched. I, I didn't believe this story much. I didn't really either. Because Dee Dee does not let her daughter out of her sight. And she goes on to say that Dee Dee even thought he was creepy and weird. So why would she allow Gypsy to go to the bathroom by herself yeah. And also see this kid go with her. Right. All of it just seemed weird to me. It just didn't seem like that could possibly have happened. But this is the story w- that we're hearing. Right. And I'm almost kind of wondering if could this have happened while they were getting like concessions? Could Dee have been, you know, getting concessions and Gypsy said she needed to go to the bathroom and that was like a good way that she was like distracted already? She didn't. They didn't sure, describe sure. exactly when it happened. But you're right, because Gypsy's kind of laughing as she explains how her mom thought he was so creepy and weird. Yeah. And that how, you know, he was this like single teenage guy coming to like a kid's movie without a kid and without a girlfriend. Like right, he's there all right. by himself. So it was weird. Yeah, right. Right. And it definitely rubbed Dee Dee the wrong way. And I think, I mean, as a woman, that would totally have rubbed me the wrong way, too. Right. I would have been like eyeing that motherfucker so hard through the whole movie if I would have been there with my daughter. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'd be sitting there wondering if he was over there like fondling himself through oh, the whole thing. Ew. I know. You, David. You, David. So Gypsy goes on to say that, you know, their plans for wanting to be together kind of started to fall apart. Like, I think 
reality started to set in and they were like, this is not going to be as easy as we kind of expected. Nope. And I don't know how they would think it would be easy. No. With Dee Dee there. Right. We then see a text exchange between Gypsy and Nick. Gypsy says, it's a hundred thousand percent in, hun. I'm ready, truly. And Nick goes, why you say that, baby? And Gypsy says, because I've finally allowed myself to accept you're my everything. I will go with you and live our dream. Now, Gypsy purchased his bus ticket to make it to her house. And the next day, her and Dee Dee went to the grocery store. They came back home. Dee Dee went to bed really late. And Gypsy was up texting Nick. We get another text exchange. And Gypsy says, I left the gloves outside the front door and the screen door is squeaky. So try to open it just enough to get in and close it gentle. I'll hand you the knife and duct tape inside, darling. I'm doing my nails, too. I'm painting them a dark pink. And as she explains that, she's talking to the documentary film crew Mm -hmm. and she's saying she's crying at this point. Right. And she says, we painted each other's nails and I acted like everything was fine. She said that her and her mom had been in a bit of an argument and that they had just made up and that she was telling her mom, like, I'll be a good girl. I'm sorry. They were doing this little, you know, painting each other's nails and pretending everything is normal and fine. Her mom then tells her that she's starting to feel more relaxed after they had made up and that she was going to go to sleep. Her last words to Gypsy were, don't hurt me. And then she goes to sleep. So those are the last words Gypsy hears. Yeah, yeah. And which how fucking odd. Again, to me, it's just it seems far fetched. I don't know. Does it seem like a like a fairy tale, like how it just fit too perfectly? Yes, I just I don't know. And again, it's Gypsy grew up lying. That was her whole life. Everything she did was a lie. So to believe everything she's saying I can't. Yeah. I, I think some of it is made up just to be a good storyteller. Yeah. Because some of it I'm like, well, I don't really think she'd say that it doesn't make sense. If they made up, why would she say, don't hurt me? You yeah. know? So to me, just throwing it out there, I thought it was a little far-fetched. I feel like some of her crying on screen is a little fake. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's forced. There's never a lot of tears. It's like the... <laughs> The muffles, you know, like, yeah, I'm sad, but I'm not crying. You know, like there's yeah. no tears. So teach their own. But that's kind of how I'm feeling about it. Yeah, totally. We get another text exchange and Nick says, I'm here and you get your ass to the bathroom. You open the door and Gypsy texts back and says, yes, sir. I'm going now, sir. Excuse Ooh. me. Just one moment while I go throw up. <laughs> oh, I didn't like that. It sounded <gasps> the way he was texting was really like violent and you know dominant oh yeah but again bdsm i guess that's what they like and that's what they wanted to do so i don't know i just i would fucking punch the shit out of any man who tried to talk to me like that. i know and don't ever think i'm calling you sir no it's so demeaning it's so demeaning to the person well that this time it wasn't 2020 but come on now i know i know women have come so much further (laughs) so gypsy goes into the bathroom in the fetal position and covers her ears she heard Dee Dee wake up, startled, obviously, yeah, and heard some noises that she couldn't really make out, and then heard Dee Dee calling her name, and even heard her say, help me. And we again get to see kind of little flashes of some gruesome police photos, and it was brutal. Yeah. It was really brutal. 
You could see all the stab wounds. There was lots of blood. She was laying on her stomach on the bed. It was, I, I just don't like seeing things like that. It just is. I know as they were showing the different angles, I'm like, Kenzie is like (laughs) gritting her teeth right now. She's like, make it stop. I was. (laughs) We're back at the interrogation of Nick and the investigator asks him if he had sex with Dee Dee or put his penis anywhere on her. And he said no. She then asked him what he thought about people having sex with dead bodies. And his response was basically that it was disturbing. Now, I thought that that line of questioning was super weird. Because you summed it up. They went, she went really in depth with all of those questions and kept asking them. I think about seven or eight times she said something about, did you put your penis anywhere on her? Did you put your penis in her? Are you sure? I mean, right. Really into detail. So maybe, and what we had talked about a little bit before we started recording was maybe they found evidence of his bodily fluid on her somewhere. Right. Because that line of questioning seems very specific. Yeah. And and not normal, really. No, it seemed very weird because it wasn't like he was there for Dee Dee, right? Like right. he had gypsy. Exactly. So yeah, I, I also found it kind of disturbing <sighs> the way, but but also, I mean, we don't know. Right. Maybe there was something else. I mean, they had, you know, alluding to like. She was almost making it sound like he had fantasies of, like, raping Dee Dee. Yeah. And to see if he had actually maybe gone through with any of that. Well, yeah, because Gypsy then says and tells us that he wanted to rape Dee Dee. And that was a conversation that they had at one point. So yeah. maybe they saw a text exchange that had said that. You're pro- Yeah, that's you know? probably it. Maybe they just didn't show that in the documentary. Right. And Gypsy says that they ended up making a deal and... She said that he could rape her so he wouldn't do that to her mom. Now, Gypsy and Nicholas end up having sex, and Nicholas said that it was consensual. Gypsy says that he had bitten her quite a few times. Once it got to that point, she had asked him to stop, and he didn't. So she didn't think it was consensual anymore. And I am a firm believer Sex can start consensual. A hundred percent. And end not consensual. Absolutely. If one of the people involved is not listening to the other and what they want. So I do believe that something like this could happen. It could start consensual and then not be after a while. Yeah. Well, and one thing to go back to the BDSM for a quick minute, when it comes to the dominant and submissive roles that people have in this, you know, in the bedroom, one thing that somebody told me one time that stuck with me was that while the submissive role seems like kind of the the lowest man on the totem pole mm-hmm. that they actually are the one in charge because they can only go as far as the submissive person is willing to go. The dominant person should have enough respect not to push them to a sure. point that they're not comfortable with. Sure. Right. right. Otherwise then it's it's fucking rape. Right. Exactly. Right. We next see like a home movie that right. Gypsy is taking of her and Nick at the Days Inn Motel one day after they've murdered her mother. They're, you know, laying in bed, laughing a lot. It's Mm -hmm. almost like it's nervous laughter if I've ever heard nervous laughter. It's such a cringy video to watch. It's super cringy. He's like naked in bed. They're probably both naked is what I would assume. I mean, she's like, hi, honey. And And she's just her voice. Yeah. In those videos, 
makes me want to stab myself in the eye. Yeah. Because yeah. she's just so like little girl. And I yeah. just, it, again, it's super cringy and awkward and I don't like it. Yeah. Now, the next day when they leave the hotel, they take a Greyhound bus back to Wisconsin. That's where Nick's from. Mm-hmm. And she says that she kept thinking, I'm free. I'm free. She wasn't thinking about the fact of what she was leaving behind at her house right. with her dead mother. She was thinking more about the fact that she was free. And she kind of alludes to the story or narrative of her own that she kind of kept thinking about herself as this like little bluebird who was finally free from a cage. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can't disagree with her. Not that's, at all. A, that's pretty good description. Yeah. Now, Nick stated that, you know, they had talked about wanting a future and a family together. Basically, they had this whole plan, mm-hmm. right, for what they were going to do. But at the time being, they didn't really have a place to go. So they decided to go back to his parents' house. And his parents agreed to let Gypsy stay with them. Yeah. Now, we see the interview again back with Stephanie Goldhammer, Nick's mom. And she's saying that, you know, when they first picked him up from the bus station, the first thing she says to Gypsy is, you know, how's your mom doing? Because they had told her that her mom... And her had gotten into an argument and that Dee Dee had kicked Gypsy out and that she was basically homeless mm-hmm. and she would have to live in a shelter if she didn't come live with Nick. Right. And Stephanie says that they acted completely normal. Everything was fine. The stepdad said everything seemed fine. But what freaked him out was that she was wearing a wig, that Gypsy was wearing a wig. Sure. Which, I don't know. To me, I just don't feel like that's very weird. But maybe... He's not a person that has seen many people wear wigs before. And yeah, the maybe. wig that she was wearing was very noticeable. Right. That's it, true. They're not nice wigs. No. No, it, these are pretty cheap wigs. Very cheap wigs. You can tell they're fake. They're wigs you'd probably wear on Halloween. I was just going to say, they're like from yeah. a Halloween store. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They're not like the realistic ones that you can literally not tell at all if yeah. it's your real hair or not. No, these were very costumey. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The investigator then asks his stepdad, you know, if he had noticed any mail show up at the house. And he says, well, yeah, I did see a package uh, that came from Missouri. But he says he didn't open it. Right. You know, he, he says, I don't filter mail. Under his breath, he goes, I kind of wish I would have. Right. It then pans back to his mom, Stephanie, and the investigator saying, yeah, they mailed this package to your house the day that Gypsy and Nick killed her mom. Mm-hmm. And Stephanie is just like, oh, my God. I mean, she's. This is news to her. Right. They open up the package and they find gloves, bloody gloves, the knife that was used to stab Dee Dee, along with between four and five thousand dollars in cash they stole from Dee Dee's house. That is pretty ballsy to send that shit in the mail. Yeah. You can send a lot in the mail. But it was not even in a box. It was in like a manila envelope. Like you could probably figure out what was in there if someone were to just like, you know, put their hands over top of the envelope. It wasn't even in a box. It, it's creepy. Crazy. It's creepy. I actually have a friend who works in the post office and she says that there are so many things that come through there that they know are sketchy as fuck, but they just <laughs> pass it on. Yeah, I guess. Now, Michelle Dean says that she believes Gypsy could be more dangerous than she's letting on. Mm hmm. She says that her mother was a master manipulator. I mean, obviously, right? We We know that. that. Yep. And that her only language was manipulation and retaliation since birth, Mm -hmm. basically. So, I mean, really, apple tree. I don't even think it fell off. It's right. It's like holding on. (laughs) 
Yes. It's that last apple to drop. Absolutely. And of course, as stated before, Nick claims that he would have never done anything if she hadn't asked him to. But Gypsy, while in the police station, initially after being arrested, doesn't take an ounce of responsibility for any of it. Oh, no. I mean, she basically says that she had no knowledge whatsoever. Yeah. She even pretends she doesn't know her mom's dead. Right. Yeah. Right. So that kind of prompts people to ask, like, how could she be, you know, is she actually telling the truth now? Right. Now, her stepmom, Christy Blanchard, comes on and she says that, you know, she had gotten a call from Gypsy from Wisconsin, you know, super baby voice on the phone, you know, that she was not trusting anyone. She wasn't giving any details or the truth to anybody. But then when they get to court, the evidence presented through the text messages, namely, really didn't look good. I mean, my God, it is written in stone. Literally. It's right there. Everything is right there. They are giving a map of exactly how they did it, what time exactly it happened. I mean, they know everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, aside from recording the entire thing. Right, right. And putting it on, like, Facebook Live, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Everything else is accounted for. Exactly. And during that portion of court, when they're presenting those text messages, you see Gypsy sitting there, and she turns back to look at Rod and Christy, literally deer in the fucking headlights. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, oh, shit. She knows that she's now been caught in many lies. Oh, yeah. Because she was basically telling her family that she had no idea. That she was innocent in the whole thing. she was innocent. She had nothing to do with it. Clearly, she's not. Oh, yeah. And Christy says at that point, I mean, they felt lied to. And obviously, right? right? I mean, the evidence speaks for itself. Yep. When asked by the documentary film crew... Gypsy says that she's not happy that her mother is dead, but she's happy that she's not being abused anymore. She just felt like the whole thing was very unreal, which Mm -hmm. I think goes back to her entire life feeling like a fucked up fairy tale. Right. And her believing that fairy tales are real. Mm -hmm. I mean, ugh, you know, I agree. And then she says at one point that, you know, not to blame the medications, but that she was on a bunch of medications at that time. And I don't 100% disagree with that. I'm sure she was on a ton of medications, but it doesn't sound like any of them made her cognitively impaired. No, she knew exactly what she was doing. They had planned this for a while. This wasn't like a spur of the moment thing. Remember, this was plan B. This was a fantasy. This wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. So it was premeditated and, and whole sense of the word. Yeah. She does go on to say that it does feel good to be honest now. Yeah. Which, I mean, fucking duh. <laughs> <laughs> so Dr. Feldman comes back and he tells us that Munchausen by proxy victims can lose contact with reality sometimes. And that may be a part of the defense in Gypsy's case. I mean, it has to be, obviously. Yeah. He also says that she may struggle distinguishing between what's real and what isn't. Again, it's going back to that where she's basically living in her own weird fairy tale that doesn't have a happy ending. And she doesn't know what reality is. She's never lived in reality. Right. She's living in her mom's reality. Or she was living in her mom's reality. Which was more like a house of horrors. Literally. Now, defense attorney Mike comes back and... 
he states that Gypsy grew up in an altered reality compared to the rest of us. By her mother isolating her, she doesn't know or understand what normal really is, like we just stated. Gypsy says that if she could go back, she would have reached out to her dad and went and lived with him. I mean, obviously, that would have been a better route for her to go. I don't think it was an option. That's what I was kind of thinking, too, because wouldn't she have done that already? I think she felt like... and. Who knows? Maybe her mom was brainwashing her and telling her that her dad wanted nothing to do with her. Right. You know what I mean? You don't know the type of information that her mom was feeding her day in and day out all day long. Right. Because she had nothing better to do. And now that she knows what type of mental stress she was under at that point, now she can clearly think about it. And she's like, wow, that's what I should have done. Yeah. You know? Hindsight is 2020, right? But honestly, I don't know. Her mom's psycho. I mean, her mom would have hunted her down. Her mom would not have let her go easy. No. Even if she was able to get to her dad. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think that I don't think that was a feasible option. No, not at all. I think it was obviously in a perfect world. You know? I was thinking about it and I honestly think that if Dee Dee would have caught wind of her wanting to go with her dad and or talking to him, she might have killed Gypsy. Possibly. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, she didn't expect her to live past 18. Exactly. I kind of got the impression that at some point she planned to. Well, right. To to make sure that her lies all added up. Yeah. Well, yeah, because at some point she's going to be an adult, right? Exactly. And will the truth come out? Rod comes back and tells us that him and Gypsy are going to try and start to build a real father-daughter relationship now. A lot of her family tells us that she probably would have been perfectly fine and a perfectly normal human and child if her mother hadn't been Dee Dee. Yeah. I agree 100%. Uh, yeah. Now, on July 5th of 2016, we get some on-screen text, and it states that the court has announced a surprise pretrial hearing for Gypsy. The new charge is Class A felony of murder in the second degree and acting in concert with another who knowingly caused the death of your mother by stabbing her. Now, she was sentenced to 10 years in the Missouri Department of Corrections. She has to serve 85% of her sentence before she is eligible for parole, which will be in the year of 2024. Coming up. It is coming up. Back to Gypsy's interview, she is telling them that 10 years in prison is better than 10 years with her mother. It's so crazy to hear someone say that. Right. That they would rather be in prison than be with their mother. But honestly, she was living in hell with her mother. Yeah. And she's actually able to be a quote unquote free person in well, prison. She can be herself. Exactly. She yeah. doesn't have to pretend or be someone else. She can live her life and be who she is, albeit in prison, but still. Right. We get some more on screen text that states that the court has allowed Rod and Chrissy to have their first full contact visit with Gypsy. We see their reunion, and it's it's tearful, very heartwarming. They have some great conversation. We get some more on-screen text that says, Nicholas Godajan faces life in prison and will stand trial in the spring of 2017. I did Google. Thank God I didn't, <laughs> because I knew this was the part that you were going to be reading, and I just was like, uh, we'll figure it out when we get there. Yep. So I did Google a little bit, and he did receive a life sentence without parole in November of 2018. Good. Now, the last on-screen text that we see says Gypsy is serving her 10-year sentence at the Chillicothe Correctional Center. She'll be eligible for parole in 2024. She'll be 32 years old. So essentially, she will have the rest of her life. I mean, 
32 years old is not old. Not at all. She did miss out, of course, on on almost the whole first part of her life. What was I going to say? She missed out on her childhood either way it, you spin it. It doesn't matter. She yeah. Like, she had a horrible childhood, and she had to spend 10 years in prison, but she still has a lot of life to live, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, it's crazy to me how far some people will go. I mean... We can all agree that mental illness was a huge contributor to all of the aspects of this case. I think it also goes to show just how easily we could fuck up our own children. Yeah, it's scary, man. For sure. It's scary. Now, next week, we are switching it up a little bit, and we are going to do a case right out of our own backyard here in Minnesota. And we're going to dub these shorter episodes as Minnesodes because we're from Minnesota. That's right. (laughs) Now, we're going to be sharing the story of the murder of Amy Allwine by her husband, Stephen, right here in Gray Cloud Island Township, Minnesota. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Sheer Crime. Please take a quick moment to write and review us on iTunes or anywhere else you are subscribed. Don't forget to follow our Facebook group, the Sheer Crime Podcast Discussion Group. You can find us at Sheer underscore crime underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Sheer Crime Pod. Of course, you can always email us your requests by requests at sheercrimepodcast.com. And as always, don't forget, never run with scissors. Bye, guys. See ya.